the do's and the don'ts of home renovation. This is an eye-opening one and an important one. Join me with expert Gabriella Milgram. Here we go. You're listening to Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Designing a new home to be your family's sanctuary can feel impossible during the stress of moving. In this podcast, interior designer Jill Kalman shares practical advice, design wisdom, and lifestyle tips for anyone moving to a new home. You'll learn all about the psychology of a well-designed home and how to survive the move and thrive in your new life. Say goodbye to overwhelm and hello to a home you love to come back to every single time. Here's your host, Jill Kalman. Today, I have with me home renovation expert, Gabriella Milgram. Gabriella is an accredited interior designer and professional project manager that's been in the design and construction industry for nearly 15 years, designing and managing multi-million dollar residential projects, commercial spaces, and hospitals. Gabriella teaches women how to create their dream home the right way from the start by combining the key design drivers and desires with the needed management tactics to build the home they've always dreamed about without losing time, money, and their sanity in the process. This is such an important topic. I know many of you have gone through renovations or are about to go through them or might be planning them, and it can be a really stressful thing. Gabriella is a wealth of information, and you are not going to want to miss this conversation if a renovation is in your horizon. Here we go. Hi, Gabriella. It is great to have you on here today. Thank you so much, Jill. It's wonderful to be here. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into it because I believe this is a topic people need a lot of help with, and I feel like you have just such a great everyday approach to it that people can understand. So I'm really, really excited to have you here. So before we dig in, just tell the audience a little bit about yourself. So I'm from Canada, but you know, North America as well. So we have, I'm an interior designer. I'm a project manager. I've been doing this for for over 15 years at this point. I have a lot of real life experience in terms of like in the trenches of building and designing and really understanding how all of that fits together, which has really kind of created that whole I guess, joint venture in my business of the planning and the design portion and how it all comes together. Yeah. And I mean, I mentioned what I did in the beginning because so often I see people, and especially now with people who have bought new homes, they're remodeling, they're renovating. And like, you'll see just on Facebook community pages, nightmares about people who've had a nightmare contractor or how do I even do this? Or, I mean, I'll get calls, you know, I'm going to buy the house, you know, do I do it now? Do I wait? I mean, there's a million things people are just so confused by, but let's start with one of the big things, which I think is a great message you have, especially at those early stages of designing. And that is how do we create a home that's intentional? And you use the word intentional. And I think that's important. So let's, let's have you describe that and talk about that a little. So the biggest thing that I find is that a lot of people rush into the design and the renovation phase. And I get it, it's the exciting portion. It's what me and you love doing, which is creating those mood boards, creating those visions and really bringing it all together. But if we don't first understand what it is that we're trying to do and who and why we're trying to do it, we're designing purely for aesthetics and also just purely for this drive of either trying to appease a certain person or for the likes or for the posts or whatever it might be. And and social media has very much changed the aspect of design in that sense, where a lot of what we're doing these days is to create spaces that are post worthy. And while they may be beautiful, and you can pin them and you can post them. And there's a lot of posts, I think that come out now where it's like the what you see what the reality is, and there's all this junk and all this mess over to the side. So it's how can we actually create that space that is more intentionally thought through while we're in the design phase that not only checks off that box of being aesthetic, but actually works for you in the long run. So you're not dealing with those issues later on down the road. Right. So things like function and lifestyle, right, are things that you have to really be honest with yourself about. I mean, Mm -hmm. one of the biggest things I took away from my design degree, and I had a, a great mentor who was a professor in that program, but one of the biggest messages was you could design a space that looks gorgeous, right? It's in a magazine. It looks beautiful. But if it doesn't work for your client, Mm -hmm. it's an absolute failure. 
And the biggest thing I learned in design school is we would always start with the room with, okay, what does the client need and want? How do they live? And I always start a project, whether we're just decorating or renovating with those questions. So you are Mm -hmm. right. And especially with remodeling, you know, it's really critical because there's a lot of permanent changes you're making. Materials, structural, right. all of those things, right? If you're yeah. opening a space or not, if you're moving plumbing or whatever. So yeah, I think to just start and tell the audience, like before you get into like getting swept away and we're going to talk about Pinterest and other things, <laughs> really be honest with yourself about how does my family live? How am I the most comfortable? And how does this space need to function? So yeah. Mm-hmm. So subsequent to that, the other thing that kind of ties into that, that you talk about is strategy versus vision for a renovation. So let's talk about that too. Vision is easy. Vision is what you physically see. And they go, this is where I guess it gets a little muddled and confusing Mm. is that they go hand in hand. Yeah. But if we only focus on the vision right from the beginning and we dive deep into Instagram and we dive deep into inspiration images and Pinterest and even watching HGTV and getting all of those creative juices flowing, we're still only looking at the visual and the tactile. And what often ends up happening, and I see it more and more these days, is that you're creating a space that is very generic. Mm. It is appeasing to the masses. It is what is considered not necessarily trendy, but there are a lot of trends and a lot of styles that people pick up on and then they only design in that certain way. But right. it's also basically the thought process from fashion of like a beige cardigan. It goes with anything, right? Right. You're trying to be non-offensive. You're creating spaces that are just very monochromatic. They're very unoffensive in any way, shape or form. So you're right. lacking your character. You're lacking your individuality. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to one, really understanding what you are from a style perspective and what you're looking for. But then also that strategization portion. Yeah. So in everything that I talk to with my clients, as well as with what I teach, it's really diving in to the beginning process of understanding, like you talked about, what you're wanting that space to be. Yeah. Because with me and you, if we're working with a client and say we do the exact same room and it's a 10 by 12 Mm -hmm. and we're working with three different clients, Mm -hmm. those three different clients are going to have three different needs. Yeah for what that space needs to hold. So the solutions that we would come up with those spaces are going to differ. And then you add that layer of that style and that vision and that creativity in terms of the color palette, the textures, the flow. Right. But you first really need to understand what they're looking for. And we understand that process because it's called programming. Right. But if you're not taught that, then it's like, how do you move forward in that process on your own? Right. And really the way that I teach it is, is sitting in a space. If you're working in an existing environment, sit in that space and really analyze what's working, what's not working. Mm -hmm. Think about how you enter. Think Mm -hmm. about heat. Think about light. Think Mm -hmm. about airflow. Think about how, watch how people interact in the space. Because for instance, I redid my entry a while ago. If I had just redone my entry for how I wanted it to work and how I thought it should visually be without factoring in my husband and how he utilizes the space (laughs) and where he puts his shoes and what his natural tendency and factors are. Yeah. It never would have worked because I would have designed it for a solution being like, this is how it's going to work and trying to impose a solution on him as opposed to bringing him into the conversation. So if you have multiple people, kids, pets, partners bring them into the conversation and even just watch how they use the space because that will inform you in terms of what solutions you're trying to come up with it's such a good point and and you mentioned an entryway so it it reminded me years ago i had in my entryway like a table it had some drawers Mm -hmm. and i had a lamp on it and maybe like a decorative item and it was really pretty and the drawers were good in that it gave me some storage but Mm -hmm. years ago i'm like everyone's dropping their shoes and stuff here. It's near the coat closet, whatever. And I replaced it with a low bench. It gave people a place to sit. It gave us a place to like drop a tote bag. And then under the bench, I put a basket for everybody for their shoes or belongings they were dropping there. So I could stow them away really quickly. And I actually think it looks prettier now anyway, but it's Mm -hmm. so much more functional. And had I just asked myself in the beginning, instead of just setting that up, 
whatever and said, yeah. you know, and so th- you do have to live in a space sometimes for a bit too, to figure that out. But Definitely. I think that to get the right vision for you, do the strategy part. Cause if you skip the yes. strategy part, the vision won't match up with the way you live. And it's really important. Right. And then, I mean, if you're not renovating, say you're building new, yeah, you can do the same process because it's either you're working with an architect and an interior designer and then a contractor on the side and they're yep. designing the space and then the contractor is building it. Yep. Or you're working with a design build firm, which is doing both. In either situation, you should be having those conversations with them in terms of what space you're looking for, why you need the space to work a certain way and the relationships between the rooms. So instead of going, I want it to be, you know, a farmhouse style house with open plan and all of these different adjacencies, instead really ask yourself, how do you live? And how do you want to be living that's not currently working in your existing space? And in your existing space, what is, you know, that thing that makes your eye twitch? For me, it's always my entry. And I think most women it is because they are, they're drop zones. So how do you make that drop zone work for you. And if you're designing that drop zone into a new space, I know a lot of new designs these this way with houses is that they're just these big open foyers. Yes. And it's like, okay, well, practically, how does that work? If you, if that's your main point of entry for your entire family, how is that going to work for you? Right. And if that is just one big open foyer and guest comes in, do guests know how they are meant to interact with that space. Do they Mm -hmm. know where their shoes are supposed to go? Do they know where their coats are supposed to go? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to come into this big grand foyer and just kind of stand there and be like, where do you want me to put my shoes? Right. Right. So it's like, it's working through it from sometimes multiple lenses and multiple angles to understand and to ask those questions of, is this intentional? And is this very, easy to understand what I'm supposed to do and where I drop certain things and how I would interact in that room. Because design in the end is meant to facilitate your life, not just being an aesthetic feature. Definitely. Okay. So we've touched on this a little and you talk about kind of why Pinterest isn't always a good thing. And we've touched on it a little, but let's get into Mm -hmm. that a little bit because I call it like the black hole of Pinterest, like you can fall down the black hole. And for people who aren't designers, I mean, even if you are a designer, it could get overwhelming if you don't really know how to go through it, but you definitely can get lost in that. And then you hit this point of like, okay, now I've seen so many things. What do I do? So Mm -hmm. I'd love your take on Pinterest because it's a great tool, but like anything else, you have to know how to use a tool correctly for it to be a benefit. So I'd love your take on, on Pinterest. Yeah. So, I mean, to preface this, I'm on Pinterest one from my business and I post things on it as well as I utilize it in my business. So I'm not saying don't use it. I'm saying understand how to use it effectively. Right. And there's two things you need to understand with Pinterest. One, it is a social media platform and it has an algorithm. So it is basing what it provides to you as search results based on your previous history. So not everything that is available on Pinterest in terms of what's posted on there from images will show up in your feed based upon how you search it and what specifics you're putting into it. So that's Mm -hmm. the first thing that you need to understand. So if you just put in like, okay, for me, I'm pregnant right now. So I've been in the world of nurseries forever. So if you plug in baby nursery, what it automatically shows up for you, if you're not hyper specific in what you're searching for is going to be different for you than what it's going to show up for someone else because it's catering to your specific previous search results. Got so it. that's the one thing to understand. The other is that a lot of what is posted on Pinterest from even interior designers and just generically posted are incorrectly labeled. So if you're specifically looking for, say, a traditional kitchen, yeah. Not everything that is labeled as a traditional kitchen is actually labeled properly. Yeah. So you're going to come up with a mixed boat of images. Okay. And you might fall in love with certain images and characteristics that you think are traditional that aren't. And depending if you're working with someone and then you provide them all these images as stating, this is what I want my kitchen to look like. And it conflicts with what actually traditional is. Yeah. There's going to be mixed messaging there in terms of what you're actually looking for. And so, I mean, really, it's the same as like searching in Google. The more specific you can be and you can 
I don't know all the little individual hyperlinks and little like asterisks and stuff to put in there to be more specific than Google. Right. But it is a search engine. Yeah. So the more specific you can be in terms of what you're looking for, and I'm talking about like features, not style terms, the more specific will pop up for you. So this is where, again, it pops into the strategy point is rather than looking at it as you're wanting, say, a boho chic living room. Right. And then you put in boho chic living room and whatever pops up that's been characterized as that comes up in your feed. Yeah. Instead, use it as a what does boho chic mean for you and what type of environment and aesthetic as well as emotional qualities are you looking for that space to hold Mm -hmm. so is it tactile does it have a lot of textures Mm -hmm. is it have certain colors to it Mm -hmm. is it warm is it inviting really go through all of those different adjectives and then use those to help you distinguish and to search term in pinterest and you will come up with a lot more availability Yeah. And as you're talking, the whole time you're talking, I'm thinking AI, AI, because if you don't Mm -hmm. talk to AI correctly, (laughs) and that's coming up soon where people are going to definitely be using it for their home design. But if you don't know the language to use, and like you said, there's a database, it's scanning, it's just Mm -hmm. pulling and it it may pull things that are mislabeled and you've got to get at least for now and it's going to get better. But I, I think you've got to get very specific. It's not so nuanced. And I think it's interesting to think about Pinterest and Google that way, but you're so correct. And I think also just it's easy to get lost in so many images that people then hit a wall of confusion, which then they're like, oh God, now what do I do? So it can be good, but it can be bad. Well, and the reason I brought baby nurseries is because I was, I did a workshop previously and I have a limited podcast series coming out on how to design a baby nursery. Yeah. And when I was going through Pinterest, every time I just did a generic search term of like baby nursery, yeah, literally all the exact same images would pop up as well as all the exact same styles. So if I'm looking for something that's different yeah. or I'm not a designer and I'm like, oh, well, clearly this is the only option available for me to do for a nursery. Therefore, this is what I should be doing for a nursery. Right. It's giving you conflicting information. So instead, it's looking at what you're trying to do in that space and then using that to inform what you're searching. So yeah. rather than using the specific nursery term, mm-hmm. start using different language and different words to pull up different options for you in images that might not be nurseries, yeah, but they can be design inspiration to fuel for you what options you could do in a space. Yeah. You could pick up living room images, you could pick up kitchens, you could pick up entries. Right. It's less about the room, it's more about what features are on those photos and you go, oh, I really like how they did that wall accent. Yeah. I really like how they brought that color in and they pair those items together. That gives you that creative flow and that inspiration that you can go, I would like to do this in this room. Right. I can apply it to my project or my space. Yeah. That's such a great point. I really think that's great. It is looking differently at it though. So it does involve a lot more piecing a couple images together and layering it and then understanding how you're going to apply that into your own room. Which, you know, leads me to when it comes to using language of finding things and honing in on what you want, to me, that's where a professional can really help you. And Mm -hmm. that's why I want to talk about whether it be interior design or renovation, maybe because of HGTV, maybe because of social media, maybe because of a lot of mindset issues with hiring people, people tend to feel like I can just do this on my own. And in some cases, maybe they can. But I really want to talk about when you're doing renovations or remodeling, do you have a team? Who's on that team? How big is the team? And it could vary per client. So let's talk about even when you should hire professionals, when you should DIY, and who could be, if you're going to hire, who could be kind of on your team when you're doing this? I think this is a big topic for people. Oh, this is a big topic. (laughs) So, I mean, really, it comes down to a couple of factors. I don't want to put a blame sticker on it, but it is, for me, when I look at it, I grew up on HGTV. This is like, what? Yeah. 16 odd years ago, which fueled my desire to be an interior designer. I was like, oh, my God. 
that creativity, that option. And I was already playing around with spaces and, you know, reconfiguring things as a teenager all the time. That for me was the natural outlet of where I was going to put my creativity. But recently, HGTV has got a lot more into the DIY sector. So people are seeing this and they're going, if they can do it, I can do it. And it's not saying you can't, but they also have a massive team. Yeah, let me stop you for one second. HGTV, (laughs) like anything else, has its place and it's positive. It, It inspires all that. What people don't understand, the amount of manpower they have behind the scenes, because this is a produced piece of media, that the amount that a professional would have to hire or you as an individual would have to hire is really not realistic. Let me just say, yes. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Like an entire house flip in a weekend. And I'm like, I, no, you do and I'm like, with that- two people, not happening. And then they're working day and night, right? So it's, it's a yes. very different reality. The yes. problem right. is, is that it's not shown, right? So it's not saying that you can't do it. It's just understanding right. what you are getting yourself involved with. And the easiest way I can explain choosing whether or not you're going to DIY something versus if you're going to hire it out is to really understand not only your capabilities, mm-hmm. but what the financial investment actually means. So... Let's take a bathroom renovation for an example of retiling a space. You go and you get a quote from a tiler and you Mm -hmm. are doing your floors and you're doing your shower. And it gives you a quote for say supply as well as installation of the tile that you Mm -hmm. picked of $4,000. And you go, $4,000, that's way (laughs) too much. I'm just gonna do it myself. So, okay, so you're like, okay, I'm gonna do it myself. What does doing it yourself actually look like? So a couple things to consider when you're going to be DIYing. One, do you have all the tools? Do you have a tile cutter? Mm-hmm. Do you have a wet tile, which, cause it's a wet saw, right? And there's also a smaller dry mm-hmm. saw for snapping them into the smaller pieces. Do you have mm-hmm. that equipment? No, probably not. How much is it going to cost you to purchase it? Can you borrow it? Is it a renting option that you can do? Mm-hmm. Look into that. How much is that going to cost you? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then do you have the skill set? Probably not. So then what are you going to need to watch? and to learn and to play around with in Mm -hmm. order to get there. So it's also going to take you longer. So let's say the Tyler quoted you Mm $4,000 and he could be done in three days. How long is that going to take you to do? Because you work full time, right? I'm assuming this hypothetical person or they have children or whatever it might be. So you're working, you have children, you have a life. So it's, are you doing in evenings? Are you doing in weekends? And then really look at what that time availability for you is. What are you sacrificing? to do it. So are you not going on camping trips? Mm-hmm. Are you not spending time with your children? Right. Are you not going out on weekends with your friends? What does that look like in order to understand time is a commodity? I want to just say to everybody, it's the most precious one. Yes. Most precious one, right? Especially depending on where you are in your life phase, right? And then also, what is mm-hmm. your intrinsic personal value? So what is your time value worth? Are you looking at it going, well, you know, I'm probably worth if I do this, it's about $40 an hour for me in terms of a sacrifice. And it's going to take me X amount of hours to do it. And I'm going to be losing out on all of this. And I have to buy all these additional materials and all of this different product. Yep. What does that actual lump sum look like? Maybe it's the same cost. Yeah. Maybe it's actually $7,000 of what you would be sacrificing in terms of additional products, maybe having to redo work, buy things that you don't have on hand, the experience, the additional time load. How long are you going to be out of a bathroom for if you only have one? What does that look like before you jump the gun and decide $4,000 is too much? Because a lot of the time, yes, there was a peak threshold a couple of months, two years ago, where contractors were charging ridiculous rates because they could. There was such a demand that it was like, well, I'm just going to throw this ridiculous cost out there and see who's going to bite. But that is coming down. So it's really, it's looking at, well, is $4,000 actually reasonable when I really look at it or is it way out of left field and then use that to determine whether or not it's something that you want to do once it's done the mistake you made how much is that to correct it and then you add it all up and you're more than the initial quote that's what i always say to people like why wouldn't you get yourself this Mm -hmm. little what i call insurance policy and so yes it is interesting a lot of people learn the hard way And one thing I will say is that I find more and more is happening is people are less inclined to do the upfront research. 
and I think you've seen this a lot, is that oh they God. will pull Facebook groups for ideas of what costs would be. And that I really caution against Ever. it because it's not comparing apples to apples. I had someone in a Facebook group that I'm part of that asked what the cost was for average cost of yep. linear feet for someone to install soffits, change out your existing install soffits. And I was like, you can't ask this question. There are way too many variables that someone who is going to be pricing soffit installation for you to be able to look at a per mm -hmm. linear cost and say, that's how much it's going to be. And she's like, well, what do you mean? And I was like, okay, mm -hmm. what is your roof pitch? How do you want it installed? Are you installing it vertically or are you installing mm -hmm. it horizontally? Because that's two different labor conditions. What materials are you using? Do mm -hmm. they have to bring in a genie or a boom lift? How is the access to your property? Like all of these different factors play into how someone comes mm -hmm. and quotes your project to then know what that per linear square foot cost is. So if you're just pooling people and you're saying, how much did soffit installation cost? And someone says, oh, $35 a linear foot. And someone says $55 a linear foot. And you factor that in yeah. and then you decide based on that, that you're going to proceed on the project, but you have yeah. a completely different situation. Right. Your cost is going to be more. So most companies out there will provide you with free quotes. It's not against them to come to your property, chat with you about what it is that you're wanting to do in this space, take a look at the reality of your situation right. and provide you with a realistic quote. The best solution to move forward with you're looking at anything is to get two to three quotes from different contractors or different trades and then look at them and then have them price it apples to apples. So ask them when they are okay. breaking out that price, what's included in this? What does that labor account for? What materials or products are they bringing on in order to be able to do that project for that soffit, for example? So if they're factoring in a genie lift, are all the other companies factoring in a genie lift so that you can compare it? And then you can decide if mm -hmm. it's something that you want to move forward with now, or you then have a number that say it's $6,000 to do and you don't have $6,000 right. that you can save up for. So it's giving you that information to make those value-driven decisions rather than just- So it's like we were saying in the beginning, it's asking yourself the honest questions because there are some people where DIY is great for them. And I will say I'm a, I'm a big fan of DIY if you can do it because, mm -hmm. and this is on a much bigger scale, but like obviously too, if it's your first time doing a DIY, I wouldn't suggest trying it on a renovation. <laughs> like. Maybe you have tried your hand at some other things, but once you start yes. to do DIY, there's definitely a lot of like confidence building it gives. There's something about working with your hands. It's all wonderful, but like you've got to be mm -hmm. realistic about what you said and be really honest with the time involved, the money involved, the sacrifice involved. Are you willing to take all that time in the beginning to learn from somebody else, whether it be a YouTube video, whatever? And that's all time also. And then if there is a mistake at the end and it's got to be corrected by a professional, it can be a nightmare. It could be, then you're like, oh my God, I just spent two or three times more than the initial quote. I know you really want to ask a designer questions. I know you really would love that professional opinion, what to do. I know nothing goes off in your brain when you think about that, except the words expensive, intimidating. I won't have a choice. I'm here to tell you. None of my services make you feel that way. But my newest service is probably the easiest and most affordable way to quickly get some answers. It is my solutions design micro session. That's right. And we can select a topic of your choosing, whether you're struggling with space planning, palette, cohesiveness, which items to buy, what not to buy. For $249, you can book that with me very easily. And we will spend one hour together and I will be your own personal design advisor for that solid hour. So link is in the show notes or check out my Instagram page or website. I hope to see you there. When you're doing these remodeling projects, what are the team members usually on it? One being the contractor. And we'll talk about when you're hiring a mm. contractor, if you choose to do so, maybe what are some red flags or how do you know which one is a good fit for you? Yeah. So again, it comes mm -hmm. down to what type of project you're doing. Jill and I are always going to say from an interior perspective, hire a designer. And I say that with so much grace and humility, not sitting there and saying that it's because 
I am the best person in the entire world and you need right. to hire me because I'm going to make your project that much better. But from the sense of that, my resources, my knowledge, my ability to look at a space and instantaneously know what to do with it is going to be a time saver for you rather than you wasting so many hours spinning your wheels right. and doubt and indecision, not knowing what to do. So again, it comes down to that factor of like, yep. where do you want to be investing your energy versus not? So interior designers in a lot of mm -hmm. ways are much more affordable than people think. There are very expensive packages that you can get where they are fully involved, but there's also e-design services. There's consultations that still provide yeah. you the value nuggets that you're searching for, but allow you yep. to then take that information and run with it. So then you're like, I know what to do. I know how to do it. And I can just steamroll ahead and have a clear decision on how to make the space work versus yep. not understanding where to start and where to go from it. So in any space that you're doing that involves aesthetic styling that has more of those design fundamentals, I would very much encourage bringing someone in, at least from mm -hmm. a consultation perspective, at the very least, to mm -hmm. understand really how to nail that space mm -hmm. from the beginning. Because that is your foundation. That is the space planning you make. Every space decision planning, that yeah. you make from that yeah. point forward. Exactly. Space planning, yeah. the styles, the colors, the everything. And then how to yep. piecemeal and to bring that that all together. So that is number one. Depending upon your project size, you may need an architect. If you're mm -hmm. touching anything that is structural and that is code variations mm -hmm. and that they have to go in for building permits, you are going to need an architect mm -hmm. because they have yep. to provide your drawings. Exactly. They have to give you your drawings. They have to give you all that. Some design build firms and a design build mm -hmm. is where it is a construction company that either has internal teams of architects and designers that do the drawings for them, or they have specific consultants that they always work for, that are work with, that provide the design portion, and then they're able to mm -hmm. work together to then build the space. It's the difference between a design build versus a design bid mm -hmm. build, which is a different type of project. So you're always going to have someone who is doing some type of design facet for you, depending upon... Yep how large your project is. And I will say, bring that team member in way sooner than you think is gonna be needed because there are decisions that need to be made. And there's a lot of back and forth communication in terms of really nailing, again, that idea of what you need the space to in order to make all of those other decisions. It's a real collaboration. Like I tell people, architects have a different perspective than the interior designer. Mm -hmm. They both bring value to the table. Then the contractor and the GC is there to say, okay, but that's not possible here. Or yes, that's possible if yes. we do this. So it is a real team effort. There are a lot of things to consider, which I also caution people oh, who are DIY or remodel. You have to actually account for all those different perspectives. Mm -hmm. And unless you have experience, I mean, I'm a designer and I would never claim I have the perspective of an engineer or an architect or a GC. So as a DIYer, for you to claim, well, you can have all those perspectives. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's interesting. <laughs> so, right. Uh, it's unrealistic. Exactly, right? Like I've been in the business long enough and I've built enough things and been on the construction side oh, that I yeah, can go around a house and go, that's your low bearing wall. Like, like we can touch it. It's going to cost you a hell of a lot more exactly. if we want to, because then you have to reinforce your load. But let's look at solutions alternative to that. Whereas 90% of the homeowner population right. doesn't know how to identify that. So again, on the note of DIYing, right. you, you can't take down a low bearing wall like without putting some type of structural reinforcement in. So it's understanding right. what you can and what you can't do, right? So there's all, that's why you bring in your consultant team. And again, a lot of architects, a lot of engineers, a lot of interior designers, they will provide yes. just straight out consultation packages for you. That's not the whole massive cost that is me doing the entire project for you. It's me coming in and going, yeah, okay, well, you can do this. You can't do this. Here's what I suggest. And then you can then decide how to move forward from there. And that is the key thing that I would say in any project that you're taking on is really understand what your limitations are. And if you want to go big, if you want to blow out, say, and make a massive bathroom that's a take out an entire two separate bedrooms and make this massive bathroom and walk-in closet. Right. What does it actually look like for you? How is your plumbing going to work? How is 
your electrical? What is the feasibility in that space? Because that's where yeah. that strategization comes in. Too often, and this is where I'm often brought into projects, is where yeah. people jump into an idea because they want to do something yeah. and they haven't thought through the entire process yet. And then they're left in a situation where it's, it actually doesn't work the way I thought it was, or it's going to be way too much money. We've blown the budget already. Yep. How can we bring this back into alignment? And the way that I teach is always this back and forth yep. between design to strategy to budget, because all three of them yep. play such an intrinsic role with one another. How do we really massage all of that? So my biggest, I guess, advice would be in any project, really nail that strategy and really understand what you're trying to do in a space and what does that really look like? So bring in those consultants in different tiers to advise on what's possible and what's not possible. And that can be individual trades as well. A lot of plumbers, mechanicals, electricians, they will mm -hmm. come in and they will just do a feasibility analysis for you. And they will say like, well, yeah, we can do this, but say your electrical panel isn't big mm -hmm. enough in order to support what it is that you're wanting to do. So that you need to factor in. And those yeah. individual trades will provide you with that information. And then you are more loaded with, okay, if I want to do this, what is yeah. the reality of actually being able to execute it properly? And then we move into the whole design and the remassaging of the design with the budget, but really understand what that looks like. So in any project, you should be bringing in those people to consult on. So that can be your individual mm -hmm. trades. It can be your contractor. And I will mm -hmm. always recommend a design professional of some sort, especially if you're doing things that are more mm -hmm structural and like architectural features as well as physical finishes because the very last thing you want to do is get yeah. those hard finishes wrong because they are very very costly to replace i was going to say even with my e-service i've helped a lot of people where they have the contractor the space has been laid out but they're like i'm so lost about like what tile what faucet so like we'll have a you know an e-meeting and I'll put together, like for a kitchen, I'll pick out your faucet, your countertop, your backsplash, your flooring, maybe your lighting and a bar stool that goes with all of it so that you're like, okay, I get it, you know, or a bathroom, mm. I'll pick out the fixtures and the tile. And then they're like, okay, now I know the yep. direction I can go in. I know what backsplash works with what counter. And because like you said, even just that piece of it, there's so mm. many different like nuggets of it that need assistance. So I think anywhere from DIY to a full team, you know, you can build your team that is comfortable, you know, for you. Yeah. Having said that, if you're going to hire a contractor, you do talk about some red flags to look for and also how to know that someone's just a good fit for you. Yeah. So I wanted you to kind of run through that a little bit because I know you talk about that quite a bit. Yeah. So <laughs> it's going to vary between what sex you are. And I hate to say this, but it is very true. And I deal with it all the time whenever I bring trades in and they go and they talk to my husband and my husband's like, why are you talking to me? She's the one who knows what's going on. <laughs> so if you're a female, unfortunately, still in this world, you're going to get a lot more resistance than in terms of either mansplaining or people not necessarily giving you the right attitude and right kind of relationship building and communication that you may be looking for. So that in itself, right off the bat is a red flag. If you are talking to a trader or contractor and they're either rude or they're insolent, or they're just not really being very communicative with you and not really answering your questions in an appropriate manner that makes you feel comfortable right off the bat, that is a red flag because how they communicate with you at the beginning when they don't even have the project is a very clear sign as to okay. how they are going to communicate with you later on down the road. So that's number one is really pay attention to your gut. And I think a lot of times people are afraid yeah. to sit there and be like, well, he was really rude to me because, you know, we've got this resistance towards saying that maybe it was me. Maybe right. I was in, in the right headspace. And a lot of the time that's not the case. It's just they're not used to dealing with with females. They're not used to asking or, or answering so many questions, whatever it might be. And do come mm -hmm. prepared with questions. Because that mm -hmm. is how you're going to get more accurate quotes is really understanding what that mm -hmm. person is providing and what that means for you. And if they explain it in a certain way and you go, I'm sorry, I don't understand that. Can you explain it in a different way? And they're not really willing to facilitate that request. Mm -hmm. That's another thing that you might want to be aware of. They should always be able to explain something in a very simple mm -hmm. 
option that allows you the okay. clarity to be able to make a decision. If they are only able to speak yeah. one layer of complexity and language, and they're unwilling to break it down so that you yep. understand what you're actually signing off on, yeah, then okay. that's a no-go for me. Another really big red flags, if they really yeah. big one is that they're not licensed and insured. I will never proceed with any trade or contractor okay. if they are not licensed, insured, and bondable. It is a mm -hmm. massive risk that you place on yourself. And some people think with just small little projects, say it's like switching out cup things here and there, that it's not that big of a deal. It is. It's the right. same thing as like, would you drive a car without insurance? No. That pushes the liability and the responsibility on you as the individual yep. versus them being able yeah. to hold their own. And they should be able to. Another one is if they place urgency on proceeding, being like, oh, well, I can do this project for you, but I need money right now. And I need to be able to know that we're buying mm -hmm. in and I need you to sign off right now to move forward. Mm -hmm. That to me is a red flag because they're, they can be honest in terms of saying, I've got a slot that where I can yep. fit you in on Thursday and let me know what you think. But if they're going, I need payment right now and I need it in cash and I need to be able to say that we're moving forward right now instantaneously yep. in order to lock me in, that to mm. me is just a dodgy. Good contract. point. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, there, there's some dodgy things that pop up, but a lot of it is just paying attention to like how you yeah. feel when you are speaking with them because you will get a sense of, whether or not they are someone that you can communicate with, that they understand your boundaries, that they understand yeah. how you're wanting that relationship to be built, and then to develop that relationship and to be able to move that forward with you. Because most projects, if you're taking on any renovation of significant scope and significant size, is a large undertaking. So you're going to be with either that trade or that contractor yeah. for a fair amount of time. You're going to want to make sure that you are able to communicate properly and able to really understand each other. To That's to really, that really good advice. And I just want to say to people in general, you know, all these projects have a lot of moving parts and a lot can go wrong. And sometimes things do go yes. wrong, but if you have professionals on a team, they can self-correct really quickly because they can hone in on the problem and get it corrected. And so that's another thing to be careful of. There's a lot of moving parts. So you wanna make sure it's somebody that can really manage everything. And some designers come in and do the project management piece of it as well. So they're kind of like in communication with the contractor, mm -hmm. the architect, the electricians, whatever, and managing it because there's a lot. So we'll wrap up the conversation. We've really given so much here and we could go on for hours, but you talk about there's, you know, some very costly mistakes that can be avoided and, you know, where these projects can go off the rails and how to avoid that. So let's kind of combine those two maybe a little bit just to talk about, yeah, they projects can go off the rails. Here's how, and here's how mm -hmm. to kind of avoid some of those mistakes. So the biggest one that I will say that I see over and over again, and I understand where it comes from, and it's where one of my biggest educational kind of points hones in on is starting without mm -hmm. a really in-depth budget and not understanding yeah. what your costs actually are. Again, this comes down to bringing in those consultants and bringing in those people to understand what your feasibility yep. is and what that would realistically look like, but then understanding how to build a successful yeah. budget and what that looks like for your project. So budgets are not fun. They're complex. It's looking at money that's just going to, you know, siphon out of your bank account. And I understand that. But the very worst thing that you can do is to start any project as a knee-jerk reaction and say, this is what I'm going to do yeah. and not understand what that snowball effect is. So there's a relationship between your scope of work, which is like everything that you're going to be doing mm -hmm. in your project to your budget value, and then understanding how you can manipulate those two okay. to stay within your budget goal threshold. And that's one of the things that I actually teach is how to create that priority list between your priority levels one, two, and three in any project so that when things go wrong, like you mentioned, you know mm -hmm. where it is mm -hmm. that you can pull things out and can yep. say, I'm going to pin this to a later date and when I, either I've got more money or it's not something that needs yeah. to be done right now, it can be done in a year or two. So you're still left with that like, ideal situation yeah. of what your project's going to end up with. 
but you know where you wanted to place your large chunks of money and you knew how you wanted to divide it. And then you knew how, if things did go wrong, where you could pull mm-hmm. and where you could massage that project around. And I, well, I just want to add, I think it's important for people to understand that when you start a renovation project, the walls and floors are typically sealed. So my contractor will oftentimes, we will say, given like normal circumstance, everything normal, you know, it should be this. If we take the wall down and we see X or we pull up the floor and there's X, Mm -hmm. because sometimes even in a home that isn't that old, they've taken shortcuts and like the wiring is a little faulty or not to code or something. And so just as somebody who's going to start a renovation, I think you should just know that things could come up when they open up the walls and open up the floors. So you're not always getting, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's cases where people, maybe they have been swindled if they didn't have somebody reputable, but things legitimately come up when walls and floors get open (laughs) that you didn't expect. We've definitely had some older homes where my contractor Mm -hmm. had a feeling like this was done so long ago. I have a feeling the wiring here is definitely going to need redoing. So I'm going to put that in your estimate. And if we take it down and it doesn't, then so be it, but at least, you know, ahead of time. So I I think it's that preparedness of like, you know, things can kind of crop up that you don't know until you start to open everything up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. 1000%. And that actually touches on really working with the correct people and then understanding what they're giving you. So, and this is twofold. One, the cost that a contractor gives you in any quote is not your budget. There are other layers that you add to that number which equals the amount of money that you, as the person paying for the project, needs to have available and to factor in as what your potential project costs could be. So if I'm talking to someone and I've gone through everything and the contract is like, it's going to be $60,000 to do a kitchen, Mm $60,000 is not my end cost for my kitchen. There are other costs that need to be factored in. There's a contingency fund, there's a reserve Mm -hmm. fund, there's project escalation Mm -hmm. costs, there's shipping and taxes. There's all of these things that you need to factor in along with your hard costs that are costs that Mm -hmm. you absorb. If you've hired, say, Jill or I, we are a cost that is separate to what your contractor is quoting you. That still needs to be factored into your budget because it's a cost that you have to absorb. So there's many different layers that get built into a budget that tells you this is how much your project's actually going to be. So the biggest point from those is that A contingency Mm -hmm. fund always needs to exist. And a lot of contractors will build a little bit of a buffer in. So understand what that might be and ask them, are you Mm -hmm. allowing any estimates or allowances? And what does that look like? You can either have them pull them out separately so that you can mark down that this might be a cost, this might not be a cost, or you can just bucket that amount in a contingency that you are holding saying, don't worry, you don't put it in your estimate. Yeah. I will bucket it myself yeah. in a contingency like percentage that is factoring in for these possibilities mm-hmm. and known probabilities that might occur. And your contingency yeah, is going to ask be you below 10%. Mm-hmm. Okay, realistically, mm-hmm. if you have a $60,000 kitchen mm-hmm. and you put a 5% contingency on that, yeah. that's $3,000. Not much. <laughs> what is $3,000 going to get you? It's not true. a whole yeah. lot. <laughs> No. So you like you need to look at it in that sense. So it's like at the very minimum, your contingency should be 10. I always say 10 to 15. And your contingency is an mm-hmm. amount of money that is factored into your budget that is for known items that you have identified okay. that have a high probability of happening. So again, this is conversations with your contractor. Yes, your wiring might be faulty. Your plumbing might not be up to code. When we open this up and we start looking at this, we might realize that these breakers need to be replaced or your electrical panel might need to be upgraded. But we won't really know until we get into it. Or we might find mold or asbestos. You're like, good to know. It's an old house. I'm going to factor that into my contingency amount. And I'm going to potentially put a bit of a higher amount. We don't know what we're dealing with yet, so they can't quote it properly. But at least I have that bucket of money accounted for. Right? Your reserve fund... Yeah, I label it as like your oh crap fund. It is your <laughs> your bucket of money that you put mm-hmm. aside that's in a separate bank account that is there for things that you never could okay. have even fathomed happening. Because more than 70% of the time, mm-hmm. there will be times when things will happen in projects. There's the unexpected. That you never totally. could have factored. 
Exactly. Like my parents redid a kitchen and they had a suspended okay. hood fan. They always had a center suspended hood fan. But this new hood fan that they put in weighed like five times more than the old one. So they had to completely like reinforce and put a new structure into the roof in order to support yeah. the weight of the suspended hood fan. Is that something that you would have known yeah. going right into the project? No. Maybe if you had done like a massive inspection of everything, but most people don't do that. So your reserve fund is there as this like extra blanket mm -hmm. of cash that you have that allows you that if these situations do come up, you can either make the decision to pull from this extra bucket and say, it's okay, I have mm -hmm. that money accounted for because I planned for it. Or you can make the decision to pull from scope and action items out of your list and say, I'm going to bucket these for later. And this is where the cash is going to come from. Because your contingency in something that's that large is most likely not going to cover that amount. So then it's like, you're, how I think your are we point is so good because honestly, I see people in this, like, let me just see how I can shortcut it mode with everything. And if that, to me, I feel like just to be really blunt, like yes. if that's how you're taking this on, just wait, <laughs> just like wait till you have the money to put yep. in these various funds, like you're mentioning, because it's so much more frustrating. It's so much more easier to blame the contractor or whatever, when you're not prepared you know, maybe there's a situation where a contractor did make a mistake. But a lot of times it's just people's frustration because they're trying to shortcut. And I just want to say that because I just see it too often. And it's yes. like, you're shorting yourself and you're causing a lot of frustration in the end. So you do need to be prepared, as we talked about in the very beginning of this conversation, before you even take this on, like, do we have the proper funds to really take us through this journey? Right? Oh, and, when I, and that's the big thing. And I get it. Like, and I talk to a lot of people like, oh, but this is such a bigger process. And this is so much more planning and so much more thought into it than I ever would have thought. And the reality is, yes, it is. It is a lot more. But if you are taking on a massive remodel or even just a kitchen renovation and a, a, a kitchen project, it is a large undertaking. And it's also a large financial investment. So why would you not want to spend the time up front doing your own due diligence to really understand what you're actually getting yourself involved with and then what that looks like from a financial sense. Because that also ties into the two other big like project derailments that I find is that not understanding how your mm -hmm. contract is laid out with your contractor mm -hmm. and not understanding what options are available for you and then proceeding in with the project in one certain direction in terms of pricing that you weren't aware of. So either if it's like time and materials or if there's like a gross upkeep to it and not talking with that mm -hmm. contractor of what that pricing model is and what you could do in order to have it priced differently. So that's that's the big one. And the other one is thinking that a contractor yes. is a designer. Neither is an electrician or plumber. Not. I'm just mentioning that because <laughs> so, I'll go over to us and be like, well, my electrician was here instead. Yes. And I'm like, yeah. And then we should do this. And you're like, okay. And the reason I say this is, okay, I've worked on two separate projects that I've been brought in in order to try to bring them back into alignment. And one, the project was priced, it was an entire house build. The project was priced very loosely based on very loose drawings. And not a lot of things were detailed in it. And then the, the client thought, well, I've got these drawing sets, the contractors priced it, this is how much is going to be, we're good mm. to go. But nothing was actually picked yeah. in terms of any of the finishes, any of the materials. Nothing was actually detailed in terms of all these connection points between materials. So it's like, for instance, the exterior stairs. How do you want that railing done? What does it look like? How is that railing going to connect to these large structural beams? How is that stair tread going to happen? What is your risers look like? What is that nosing going to be? How is that entire design going to connect to your railing of your actual handrail? None of that was figured out. So then one, how is he pricing it? And then two, it's like, oh, well, the contractor will just figure it out. Well, the contractor needs to know what it is that you're wanting that to look like, not only from a pricing, but from a building perspective. So a contractor is not a designer. So if more work had been done upfront with the design team to actually nail down all these details, along with the specific yeah. sourcing and selecting of the materials, right. it could have been priced more accurately. Yeah. And then it could have been built more quickly. 
And then they would have been able to have actually landed on something that they really loved rather than throughout the entire process of the build, cutting and making all of these design decisions as the house is being built to bring down this project cost value that kept on increasing and increasing. So that happens more often than I would like to say in reality. And the other project that I was brought into is a kitchen. And it's a lot of the time, I think people proceed in this way with kitchens Mm -hmm. is that they bring on a kitchen designer, they get drawings done, they haven't actually figured out what they want the kitchen to look like, they haven't picked anything, they haven't made selections for any of the appliances, the plumbing, the lighting, the anything. And then they get this design and they fall in love with it. And then they start making all these design decisions. But now the design doesn't work. So it's like the appliances that they've picked yep. don't fit where it is that they thought they could go. So then the design needs to be changed. And then they're making yeah. all these sacrifices going, well, now I don't like the design. Well, you already bought the appliances. So now we kind of, it's backwards. It's like, yeah. it's backwards. So design in itself is a lot more of a massaging and a give and take in terms of what can we do here? Now we're going to make some decisions. Right. And we're going to go back and we're manipulate it yeah. this way. And then, oh, that doesn't work. Exactly. Right. So that doesn't work. Now let's massage the thought process over here and maybe pick a different fridge, whatever it might be, where there's this misconception that it's like, this happens, this happens, this happens. Yes. And then it's like this sequential process and there are steps to it, but they're more fluid and they more happen in tandem. And if you don't know what those steps are and then how to move through them in a very fluid sense of about how they inform one another, that is where you're going to end up in these situations where you engage teams, you proceed with their project, you do rough-ins on your work. kitchen that doesn't actually yeah. work with what your final decision Yeah, it's really, I think the message is planning, planning, yet. planning. And it's funny because like my first freebie and the freebie <laughs> that I still have, it's called a room planner because even for decorating, it's like what questions you need to ask yourself. Mm-hmm. And then I give people sort of like some budget ideas because if they don't even know where to start... And like I just said before about if you don't have the funds now, then at least you know what to work toward. And you can be like, okay, we're not going to dig into this till we can have that contingency fund because we don't want to be in a pickle. So we're going to wait X amount of time till we can save a little bit more and set it aside. Mm -hmm. Having that knowledge, I mean, so it's like knowledge Mm -hmm. allows you to plan. And then when you go in with kind of eyes wide open, you know, it doesn't mean you're going to avoid every single pitfall, but you're going to be so mm-hmm. much more prepared to bounce back, handle it, feel less frustrated, feel less inconvenienced because your life is very inconvenienced by remodels too. Oh, you definitely. are just such a wealth of information. I mean, we could go on for hours, but I think your approach is so <laughs> great. And I think it is such an important topic to relate to the audience because I know the audience gets frustrated and rightfully so. This is a lot to take on. And so I hope that our conversation helps give some tidbits and advice and impart some information so they can just feel more equipped and also just really kind of debunk that whole trying to find the cheapest contractor, trying to shortcut, shortcut, shortcut. It just, it's like anything else in life. When you try to shortcut too much, it's not going to benefit you, right? Oh, 1000%. And I mean, like, no one's perfect. I've been in situations where I've been like, I just need this getting done. And I'm just going to hire this person and have not gone through a whole vetting process and ended up regretting it later on down the road. So I mean, like, we're not sitting here and saying we ourselves are perfect. We've obviously gone through our own mistakes, but we've also learned from it. And we know what it is that needs to happen in order to make those spaces come to life. And my biggest, I guess, wish is not to sit here and say that, like, you need to hire me to do whatever it is that I do best, it's to give you the information and the tools so that you can make those decisions so much more easily and effectively. Because I get people emailing me, I get people messaging me, I'm on message boards, and I see all of these same issues continuously come up. And I'm like this, and it's always the same thing. I'm like, this could be so easily resolved if you had just gone through it in a different way of approaching it. And I 100% know that it's because that's not taught. And that's where I'm really hoping that I can fill that void of being like, let's look at it from a different way. I know it's not the fun, sexy way. I get that. We will get to the sexy design part. But first, we need to really understand what we're doing. And then we build on that. And then we get something that we know how to proceed with, even with styling. Like for the packages that you have, 
it's giving them an idea. It's giving them an intention and a budget and they go, okay, I know where to start. Does it mean yep. that they have to move forward right away? Yep. No, but they can also piecemeal from that. They can go, okay, yep. I'm going to do this now. I have a plan. I know what I'm working towards. I'm going to do this now. I'm going to save up some money. I'm going to do this later. And I'm going to layer these things on as I go through it. Not yep. everything needs to be instantaneous, but it's really understanding what we're trying to go for. So the decisions you're making up front are able to actually yeah, and it's be like you just said on me, it is a reverse. much bigger message. We use ourselves as examples because you know that's what we know. But it's a much bigger message. A lot of times I'll put messaging out there about hiring a designer, and I'll say, not even if you hire me, just like knowing that in the profession there are people that can help you <laughs> instead of going on your own and making a mistake that's more money than if you had paid for a service locally with me or not with me. It's really to just educate people and help people, whether they use me or not. You know what I mean? I, I oh, really, yeah. really feel that way. It's because I'm here to, you know, my message is much bigger than that. And that's why I have the podcast. It's not just about me. It's about bringing on experts like yourself, where we can show people, you know, where they can benefit from having a professional who's seasoned the difference that that makes. So. Yes. And I think that's, that's really the end game the end kind of message is and the end message is like i think there's this weird stigma against professionals yep. being like oh well they're just they're gonna cost way too much and i don't want to bring them on because they're just gonna be way too much and i get that and again depending upon what stream you're bringing yep. them into your project they could very much be but there is always people in different lanes as well as different ways of working with different people that will give you the information that you're needing and then you can take that and then you can run with it as you please. But it's better to know, have some type of information and to work with some yeah. layer of professional in any type of project to gain that fundamental information and direction in terms of this is what we can do, yep. this is what we can't do, this is what I would advise on, this is the directions that I would lean you towards. So then you, you're yeah, set up crowdsourcing for days and getting reels. 95 I mean, different answers. And you're like, well, wait, which that are based on a better all based and on like, opinion. <laughs> sometimes there's misinformation. And like there was even a travel Facebook group that mm -hmm. I'm in because we're taking a trip and somebody wrote something about a region and then like 50 other people were in there like, that's not even accurate. Why would you say that? You know? And so you have to be really careful, you know, it can happen anywhere. But with home design, yeah. like don't put all your eggs in your basket there of like, oh, I got my information from this group. And again, there's great information in those groups too. All of these things are tools, but knowing how to use them and not 100% rely on them is sort of the key, you know? Exactly. Yeah. It's like investment banking, you know? Like, would you pool a giant Facebook group full of people being like, I want to make some investments and I want to understand my well, mortgage? Right. And or would you go talk to a professional? You'd probably pay a couple hundred dollars for a consult to talk to someone to give you the right direction because it's money. So if we take that idea and we put that into our home projects of in the end, it's money and it's also your intrinsic value of your time. And we put that into it and we say, mm -hmm. what is that worth for you? It opens up a different way of looking at it and being like, okay, well, yes, I would like to know more of what it is that I'm going mm -hmm. to be investing mm -hmm. in because it is it's an investment in your home versus just jumping the gun and like seeing what sticks you know, and figuring it out as I go mm -hmm. along. So there's, there's different ways of looking at it. And that's, I would really encourage people to, rather than the spaghetti on the wall <laughs> is let's make it an intentional idea and, and figure out who we can work with and who we can lean on to get the information. Yeah. Cause I say to people to all the time, when's the last effectively? time you spent thousands and tens of thousands of dollars and didn't do your research? Like when you bought your home, when you bought your car, I mean, people sometimes even do more research about their computer. And so it's like, you're about to spend a ton of money investing and it's probably going to increase your home value too. So it's like, don't you want to be kind of more mm -hmm. smart about that? <laughs> so anyway, I mean, we have talked about, so yep. yeah, we could. If we there's any last sort of tip that you want to <laughs> leave with the audience, let me know. And then I would love to close the show by having you let everybody know where we can find you. You also have some great freebies mm -hmm. yourself and services, and we would love to link those all in the show notes for you. So I'll let you take it away with that. Yes. My ending note would be design is super fun. It is super exciting. It is a way of adding your own personality, your own flair to your home. And 
the way to really get it so that it speaks to you and it works from you from a longevity standpoint is to really understand what you're wanting the space to be. And the only way to really understand that is to dive deeper into yourself to how it works and to nail that strategy thought process before you go into the image sourcing. They can happen in tandem, but a lot of time it, it gets a little flooded. So really think about that first and then go into the creative process because it will make your life so much easier. <laughs> and in terms of resources, I have a couple. I do have a limited series podcast that is out, which is on nursery design, how to design a baby nursery. So if you're like me, can't really see right now, but you know, I'm 30, almost 36 weeks pregnant. So if you're like me and you're expecting a little one and you want to know how to take all that overwhelm off your shoulders as a new mom and to create that space, I've got that limited series podcast out. I also have a YouTube channel, which is filled with a whole bunch of different resources on design, as well as building the space of in remodeling the home of your dreams. And that's just under Gabriella Mogram. And I have a free design challenge that's coming up. It starts October 3rd. It's called the house to home. And I'm going to show you exactly how to walk through this entire thought process of starting with the thought, building on that priority list and really nailing down that strategy and then building out that vision package. And that is the house to home challenge. And it starts October 3rd. This has been a pleasure. You're so knowledgeable. And I really thank you for educating <laughs> me and the whole audience today. Thank you so much. No, thank you so much for having me. I love your show. It's amazing. And I'm so glad to be a guest. If you like what you're hearing on Welcome Home to the Suburbs, I would be so appreciative if you would support the show. The best way to support the show is to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I would be so appreciative, and I hope you will leave us a review. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Welcome Home to the Suburbs. Head over to jillcalmaninteriors.com to learn more about designing a beautiful new home while minimizing the stress of moving. See you back here next week.